This is State of Water. This is State of this Water. This is State of Water. This is State of Water. State of Water coming at you right now. State of Water, a podcast focusing on clean water issues and their relationship to policy, equity, community, and climate. Featuring captivating interviews with Michiganders from many walks of life, State of Water is the official podcast of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan, a program of the nonprofit organization Title Track. Hey, this is Jenny from Title Track. If you resonate with what you're about to hear, put those feelings into action. Take the first step toward getting involved by going to titletrackmichigan.org slash contact to sign up for our mailing list. Welcome back, friends. Thanks for lending your ears. In our final episode of 2022, we bring you a compelling conversation with Denise Keel, Executive Director of the Michigan Climate Action Network. Denise discusses her fascinating vocational path, her passion for music and the arts, and Mike Hand's recently re-envisioned strategic plan and mission, which states, Michigan Climate Action Network connects and amplifies individuals, communities, and organizations confronting the climate crisis in Michigan and supports them in advancing equitable climate solutions with the urgency science demands for the environment and all that live in it. Hope you enjoy this conversation, spotlighting this wonderful organization. And if you haven't already, as the year comes to a close, we encourage you to check out other recent episodes of State of Water. We've dropped six new episodes in the last two months, spotlighting some of Michigan's clean water champions. All right, let's turn it over to State of Water host Seth Bernard and Denise Keel of the Michigan Climate Action Network. Well, hello, Denise. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me today. Hi, Seth. Thanks so much for inviting me. A huge fan of Title Track and all of your podcasts and all the materials. So long time listener, first time caller. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. So this is really exciting. You know, you're in your first year as the new director, executive director of MyCan. And uh, we've been big fans of the organization for a long time. Uh, I've had the pleasure of getting to know you and and um, sharing the stage with you at the Climate Summit last spring. And um, I, I think it'd be cool for our listeners to just hear a little bit more about your background. Yeah, sure. So I am, I think now almost six months on the job uh, started where we got to meet at last year's Climate and Clean Energy Summit. And it's been a bit of a long and winding road to my current role as advocacy. And I hope everyone in this world gets to try out as many occupations as they also desire. So I started this uh, journey as a farm girl growing up in Western Iowa. And I'm the weird one in my family. I didn't go to Iowa State to learn how to grow better soybeans. (laughs) I went to the University of Tennessee to learn how to grow trees. So I have an undergraduate degree in forestry um, and really took just all science classes. Like I was so like into the biology and the ecology uh, pieces of of this world and and learning about that. And and the Southeast was amazing. 
I got my first job, my first gig doing some forestry work. And one of the first prescriptions for a state forest that I ever wrote, we got sued. <laughs> and I, I didn't know what was happening or why. And my boss, I think, felt a little sorry for me because <laughs> I was so confused. Why would be like two plus two equals four? This is the science, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I didn't really understand, you know, uh, value bases, uh, a lot of history, you know, different uses, all these different perspectives. So I went back to school, got a master's, and then uh, my PhD is from Syracuse uh, University in environmental politics and policy, because I realized I needed to understand where are people coming from? Why do we care about these pieces? And what is our true relationship with nature. And so from there, I became the professor and I uh, was at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where I still reside uh, for about 14 years, teaching environmental policy and law, uh, doing research on litigation, how folks utilize this policy process and courts and all these fancy systems in order to, to make change. All the while, I was starting a university climate change working group. And then for the last three years, I have led the Kalamazoo Climate Crisis Coalition, a local advocacy group. So just more and more of my time and energy and kind of the fun parts of what I was doing with my life started to get into the advocacy space. And so when when I saw that um, our former director, Kate Madigan, who you know well, was, was stepping down, I said, maybe it's time for me to take another leap in this world from forward farmer to forester to professor to advocate uh, full time. And it's just been a whirlwind of activity this this last six months and just a, really a lot of change. You know, it's it's difficult to, to give up that faculty piece. And I miss the students. Um, and I get to see all of them out here in the advocacy space, though, which mm. is really fantastic now. So, so yeah, kind of a, a long and winding road. That's why I start with, you know, I didn't know where it was all going to lead. I don't think any of us ever do. So just take that next opportunity and, and keep working on things that you believe in. Yes. Well, thank you for following that call and continuing to, you know, uncover the next steps and kind of go deeper. It sounds like in some ways your your journey is like trying to get further into the source of how you can be effective and, and um, and, you know, every step of the way you're doing meaningful work. Um, but it sort of leads to the next thing. And so here we are, you know, you're at the helm of the Michigan Climate Action Network, and you all just went through some strategic planning and, you know, kind of overhauled the mission. And there's a lot to share there. So I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about how that process took place and where where it led and where you are at right now. Yeah, sure. No, thank you for that um, like insight into, you know, you live, you live your life, you do these things. And it's, it makes sense sometimes when you look back on it. Um, but I, I appreciate that, that insight. Uh, really, I'm just continuing to try to dig deeper into who we are and what, how we can support each other and, and help each other. So yes, Michigan Climate Action Network, when I came on, uh, I thought, well, gosh, I got to get to know this network. And so we really started with a summer of engagement and listening, healing, going around the state. We talked to probably over 200 folks over the summer and then put out a formal survey to gauge folks, you know, what's your perception of my can? What are we doing? What are we getting right? What kinds of things do you want from this network now that we've, we've had this big transition? And, and the climate space has changed a lot too, right? Remember, 
my can is the first group really in Michigan to go all out and say climate bold and loud and take it, take it there. And so there's a true legacy here of, of staying on that cutting edge. And we really wanted to stay true to that while making sure that we got all the input from current members about where they were headed um, and what, what they needed from us. So we took all that input over the summer and then did a couple intensive days in Lansing with uh, our steering committee and a lot of other key stakeholders got together for a couple of days and a good old hybrid plus uh, in-person plus the rumors and zoomers, as I as I call them, <laughs> to, to really um, update our mission, our vision. And we have now six guiding pillars. And so that work, then the team really got to work on that. We had a couple other listening sessions to float some ideas and direction back. And I got to say, I was so impressed with our network and that planning committee's just engagement. There's so many people that care about this work and want it to succeed. And that overriding engagement is just fantastic to see. So we really spent a lot of time honing and crafting all that. And then to my surprise, almost 200 people showed signed up for a webinar to watch a strategy. I thought, Seth, I don't know that I would sign up to watch a webinar on a strategic plan, right? So, okay. So that tells me, again, just the interest and the engagement in, in MyCAN is, is huge. And the folks are really looking for that connection, especially after these long couple last two to three years, right? They seek in that connection and, and really wanting to, to be with us. And so we've updated our mission just a little bit. Um, it won't sound too terribly different for everyone who's been playing along uh, out there, but our new mission, you got to have sets of threes. This is how I'm going to remember this <laughs> when I have to, to deliver it in uh, extemporaneously. But our new mission is to amplify and connect and support the people, organizations, and communities demanding urgent bold and equitable solutions for a just transition to a resilient future. Mm -hmm. So we really wanted to still capture this idea of amplification, telling the climate stories from around the state, mm -hmm. still connecting those leaders. But we wanted to make sure we got in the ideas of, as you well know, there's urgency around the climate solutions, yet we must do this with an equity justice framework. And those two things are sort of in tension still right now about how we do the work and when we can get the work done. And it's our idea that what MICAN can help do is try to build a model for how we build that very movement and how we can put aside those kinds of forces that say justice and climate solutions are oppositional, right? They are the same solutions. And so I see so many folks awakening to that premise and that forces us to redesign what is our direction? What are the actions that we should be so fervent to, to take? And that's really what we've been trying to do and spend, spend that space in strategic planning to again, really refocus our direction so that we make sure we're not just taking action to take action, right? That we're taking action that is multi-problem solving, that centers that justice and equity piece so we can get at these root causes of the fundamental and uh, disasters, right? That we've created for ourselves, which I'm an optimist if, if everyone can't tell. Uh, so I, I I firmly believe that we got ourselves into some messes, and that means we can get ourselves, we know how to get ourselves out too. Mm, mm, thank you for that. Yeah. Well, that's so inspiring. You know, just the fact that you've been so 
intentional about doing this listening tour and really rather than just having like a an intensive round table of your board and staff to to do your strategic planning to go around and take input from 200 people and then spend two days in Lansing with people on Zoom and people at the table, just really including stakeholders and taking the time that it needs and to to land at this place where it does feel, you know, it's the same organization, but um, again, going deeper, going deeper into the root causes, going deeper into what uh, what is required of us to bring the solutions to bear collectively. And um, I think... Um, you know, this is the State of Water podcast, obviously, and, and climate is a part of it. And I've noticed that a lot of organizations that are specifically working on water or at least started. Um, I spoke with Carl at the Superior Watershed Partnership recently, and he talked about how they have the all of these young people working on climate solutions all across the UP, just recognizing climate as this massive existential threat to clean water. So I'm curious for you to just talk about how you think about water, how water plays a role in your life and plays a role in your work. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with with the life uh, piece because I just got to be be up there. Uh, I would I think the Manistee River is my favorite place on this planet. I haven't been to every place on the planet, but of the places I've been, that's my favorite spot. And every time, you know, rivers... There's something about being able to look at that molecule of H2O that's flowing by in the stream today and to think about where it's truly been in the whole hydrologic cycle, right? Taking that science in and and thinking about all the policies we've created to try to get at clean water, right? For recreation, for fishing, for swimming, for drinking. And then we really still, I think, have to work on this connection to that water. There's also a, a piece of me in that stream that's rolling by. And we've, we've, this society, the dominant culture right now has tended to push that heart piece of that water molecule a little bit aside. And, and that's, we gotta be bringing all of those pieces together. So when I think about climate and water, like the impacts on the science and the policy from climate are huge, right? I mean, we know that the global warming temperatures, that means that our water is also warming. What does that mean for us who, who live and want to be in that in that Lake Michigan or on that Manistee River, right? That means our signature trout streams are probably going to go away once that groundwater warms up, right? These fantastic trout streams in Michigan are going to go away. It's going to change the entire ecosystem. We have to think about the policies for people. Think about the infrastructure. Michigan is set to get about five more inches of precipitation every year, whether that comes as snow, as it unexpectedly did in 20 inches in Kalamazoo last week, or whether that continues to come as rain. But we know it's not coming evenly. We get these massive storms, right? And so it's not where us humans currently want it or need it, right? And so that means we have a huge uh, piece here to think about what kinds of infrastructure for farming, for flood relief, for that uh, piping of our drinking water. How are we going to adapt those to meet the impacts that are already here? And I'd be remiss um, in speaking for my can if I didn't also bring up the oil and fossil fuel infrastructure that is threatening our 
clean water, namely in Michigan, of course, line five. And this oil infrastructure is outdated. We don't need it. We need to be focusing on the new clean energy infrastructure I was just speaking about. And it's a huge threat. Those We have an oil spill, biggest inland oil spill was in Kalamazoo in 2010. And we're still operating line five and they want to build an oil tunnel. It's not about just the safety. Again, if we really think to our connection to water, what we're going to be need as humans to live in this changing climate, we got to get real about our relationship to the importance of that resource and what it again means to us in our hearts as well as in our minds. And so there's just so many connections between climate and water that, again, are really at the heart. You know, climate impacts can be sort of abstract, um, and, and water is one that really brings it home here here in Michigan. Absolutely. Yeah, and thank you for your leadership and, and collaboration on so many of these clean water issues in Michigan and, and helping people connect the dots. I think it's so important. A lot of the narrative around Line 5 has been sort of just that specific threat to that specific place, which is the, the worst place to have old oil pipelines in the world. It's the, you know, epicenter of the Great Lakes. But then the larger issue is like, why are we using oil? It's it's a con it's more than a threat. It's just constantly damaging the climate. And we know this and the the, the industries themselves are aware of it. Um so it's it's an awesome collaborative effort and and um it, you know it, it connects a lot of different sectors of the environmental movement um yeah i like to think about line 5 as like that's the start in michigan of no fossil fuel infrastructure right or if you want to say it positively clean the clean energy transition 100% yes. it's been it's served as this wonderful rallying point because of all the reasons that you just said and I think now is the time to start thinking about line five is emblematic of the fossil fuel infrastructure that almost none of us knew all these pipelines were underneath our state, right? 10 years ago. And you, you see that map and you think, wow, what have we been oblivious to that is just serving some immediate need? And we need to uncover that first so folks can truly be aware and then adapt and restructure to something that is truly clean. Absolutely. So let's talk about the year ahead. What are you excited about in terms of what you're up to in 2023? Oh gosh. So, you know, now we have this new strategic plan and I gave you all the mission. So, but our, yeah. our strategies are really going to be to lean into our communication shop. MyCan's uh, original strength and the folks who created this organization were so smart in investing in digital communications, even pre-pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. So here we all are now. We're going to lean into that strengths of communications and that large network. And our primary role is going to be to try to serve as the megaphone for climate action and thinking about those positive forward-looking solutions that connect, again, human spirit to that science, to that policy, to how we live every day. And we could not be more excited to be thinking about how we're going to connect grassroots, grass tops through this communications vehicle. And again, really try to be the, the megaphone 
for for this movement across the state. Um, uh, we're going to start planning our Climate and Clean Energy Summit. So that's, of course, our signature event going to happen this June again. And we really want to reframe that around storytelling, around, well, frankly, what Title Track does, creative responses. Art is the ultimate communication. And uh, there's not enough of that in the movement, uh, as, as far as I can see. And I used to say there wasn't any until I met y'all. And then it's like, oh, here's all of this culture, right? So how do we, we're really excited to start trying to bring in more forms of communication, whether that's music, poetry, art, storytelling. There's so many ways to capture stories and capture that human piece of climate change. And that's really where we're going to, we're excited to be focusing on and bringing those, those types of, of pieces in. Even maybe climate comedy at the summit is uh, like, you know, we could think, we could think about this very broadly and very big is what we're going to try to do. Wow. I love it. And I, I'm so glad you brought both of those things up because the summit is is really profound and and every year it changes a little bit. So I'm excited to see how it, it, it morphs a little bit this year, but I've always loved how, um, how you involve so many different sectors of life in Michigan. And there's, there are all of these different workshops and speakers. You have political leaders, you have students, a lot of youth leadership there. You have people who are, you know, successful in the private sector, business leaders, um, artists, I get to come and play and sing and do sing-alongs and, um, and I, and, and your communications is outstanding. And, um, I love the fact that there are so many solutions being lifted up. So like when I come across your Instagram stories or, or posts and, and Facebook, it, it's, it's great because it's informative. And I think that the, you know, the urgency and the, 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 reality of, of of dire situations and like how, how this is actually unfolding in real time across the world is important but that alone obviously is is too much for people uh it it's it's it brings us down and people are already overwhelmed with the circumstances of our lives you know having gone through the pandemic and and just existing um in in challenging times but the fact that there are great stories out there. It's like, I love the fact that you find stuff that I didn't know about and I see it and I'm like, whoa, this is happening. And it really, it's like an instant boost. It's an instant uplift. And I think that that is an important piece that has for many years been missing from the climate movement. Um, you know, it's like, okay, it's, it's important for people to see that polar bears are losing their habitat, but that alone it's it's missing the fact that there are people in all of our communities that are coming up with creative solutions that are finding ways to engage other members of the community, unlikely partnerships and things like that. And and that stuff is happening in real time, too. And uh, so kudos to, to you all for really putting a lot of energy and creativity into that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's um, like you said, it's those are stories that don't get told as often as they they should and and folks are out there most of the folks are doing this at the community level are on a volunteer basis these are people that care about each other and care about this world and it's just i feel like it's just our responsibility to let everyone know hey this is this is what what you two could could do this is what and someone else is doing this in their their community and there there are ways for us to support each other in doing that work Absolutely. 
And I love that you brought up arts and culture and music. And um, this is a fun topic that I like to bring up in interviews is, so you have the, you have the summit coming up, the Michigan Climate and Clean Energy Summit. If, if you could just wave a magic wand and have any act from all of history come and perform this year, no rules, who, who would it be? Oh my goodness. Well, other than Seth Bernard and title track, come on. <laughs> well, I, I don't know how much of this ends up. Um, if you, if you edit this at all, Taylor, we're looking at Detroit and Taylor Swift's going to be there the two days that we're looking at. Our God. So, so I do have a little bit of a, of a thought that I should just let their, her team know that, you know what, my kin will also be in town that day, Taylor. So for all yeah. the Swift, for all the Swifties out there, Oh, but gosh, any act over over any time. I have long tried to think about what would be the like climate song, right? Like what is the playlist, right? And 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 you have worked on this and so many folks have, have worked on this. And it I think would span the gamut for me, right? Like I I often when I'm down and like you have to you gotta tell the truth first and those impacts, you gotta we have to feel that, right? We know these impacts. And so my go-to there would probably be a Neil Young, like a helpless, you know, wow. you, sometimes you got to surrender and like, I can only, I can do what I can do, right? Because, but then I would think, I think kind of back to the 1960s and the original environmental movement, uh, you know, think about how important music and art was to that revolution and, and those those changes. And so there I start to think about like, you know, people get ready, you know, would probably be my next song or act that I would want to have come, right? Like, so yeah, those would be just a couple, couple suggestions, but yeah, you, you got to help me. Let's, let's divine the climate playlist. That's our task. That's awesome. And Neil's still out there working on it. I know he might come. He's a huge, you know, he, he gets it. He's, yeah. he's made a lot of different public statements uh, about, about these pieces. Yeah. Then yeah. I don't know, you might have to have like a bad bunny, right? These days. So you never there we know. Go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So how about just in your personal life? How how do the arts help you keep going? How how do you reach for art and music and culture uh as sort of the antidote to the despair that comes sometimes it comes up despite our best intentions? Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm a huge music music lover, and so that that makes that piece it's the power of music to transform a mood still uh, just amazes me. You know, you can be you can be down, you can be self-talking, and making it just a, a rough day. And once I turn those tunes on, it's it's just an immediate uh, change of, of positive and and those endorphins that can come. So I think music is a huge part of what how I personally cope with with these things. But also, I'm a huge reader. So that academic in me has never uh, gone away. Um, you know, I'm actually famous in my hometown for reading every autobiography in the library. So oh. I've always been a huge reader. And so uh, for many years, uh, it's still going on. Uh, there, We had a climate change book club here in Kalamazoo that that we ran through the Kalamazoo Climate Co Crisis Coalition. It's still ongoing. I think that was one of the best ways that kept me you know, because we read not just the the science, we read those books sometimes, but we read a lot of fiction. And it brought a lot of different folks into climate because fiction allows us to start to do that imagination phase, right? You don't have to be so like, oh, tight, here's today's reality, here are the constraints. Fiction allows 
us writers to create a world, to have it go someplace else. And that helps humans free it up. So we we really need the humanities. We need we need writers. Uh, so for example, the probably the best book that we read in 10 years was last year, Kim Stanley Robinson released Ministry for the Future. And it is a novel. It is a tomb. I won't um, lead you astray. It's about 500 pages, or I listen to audiobooks mostly. So I think it was like 29 hours, which is a little scary when you start that. Like, oh, I don't even know if I can handle it. It's overwhelming to see the little, the little slider, right? So it's a novel, but it's so, it's so well done that you would think that that could happen next year. Wow. And so I think reading fiction, again, gives us this opportunity to get outside ourselves a little bit, to start that imaginative process. And there are some fantastic, they're calling it cli-fi because it was like science fiction, like, oh, this is a, a world yet to come. And a lot of folks have pushed back on, on that moniker because is it really like science fiction? We're already here, but the whole genre is called cli-fi. And there are several great uh, novels. And we you can even go back in time. I think there are many climate novels that predate our, our modern era. I, I uh, have a great colleague, the English professor, who says, you know, the Grapes of Wrath is a climate novel, right, about the Dust Bowl and those transitions and the journeys. I think he's absolutely right. Octavia Butler and Parable of the Sower is a climate novel, right? And so when we think about those actors and those heroines and villains in those kinds of settings, I think it does, again, really allow us some space to creatively imagine how we might be in this world. That's what any good book does for me. So I still love reading a good book, good piece. And uh, we are are thinking of bringing back not just book club, because my team is ambitious, as you know, at my can. We are small, but mighty. We are, are, are toying with Climate Culture Club that Ooh. could bring in, you know, maybe it's a book um, and maybe it's a maybe it's just a, a think piece. Maybe it's a film. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's art. You know, true thinking about thinking through culture. What are some ways that we can connect folks? And again, get that heart and mind and body working together on this. Love it. Wow. Sign me up. All right. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. It's been wonderful chatting. And I'm just wondering, you know, if you could share some things with our listeners about how they can get involved with MyCan and any anything else you'd like for them to know. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we have a great uh, ongoing website. You can join us anytime, myclimateaction.org. You can email me anytime. You can sign up there and you'll get all of our emails that keep folks updated. There are ways for you as local organizers and grassroots groups to submit your news, your events, so that we can start amplifying those pieces out and get us all connected. And we're going to be starting a, a mapping of the network project so that we can really highlight so that we can be that connector role. So if you're out there and you're listening to this and you are involved in climate work in your community and you're not yet totally connected with MyCan, please check out the news and events page so that we can start making sure that everyone knows who in their communities they can go to. Because this is work that we can cannot and should not do alone. And there's probably someone in your community that, that is already trying to be a leader 
and a champion on climate issues. And it's it's our goal to really highlight those folks and make sure that everyone is connected in their own local communities. Local communities have a huge voice and role to play. And we want to make sure that we we honor that at every scale of this work. So please look us up online. We're on all the socials. Come join us, start getting connected. And again, if you're already doing this work or want to do this work, we hope we can connect you with your local group. Denise, thank you so much for the work that you do. And thanks for sharing it. And looking forward to collaborations in the future. Keep up the good work. Yay, me too. I'm so glad that we got, we finally got to do this. Yeah, me too. Water is powered by the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. This campaign represents an opportunity to help place clean water issues front and center by partnering with environmental organizations across the state, by educating voters, and by urging every candidate running for public office to make a strong stand on critical issues affecting Michigan's waters. Using storytelling and music events across the state to amplify the groundswell of public support for clean water issues, this campaign is driven by Michiganders from all walks of life who share a similar priority, protection of our water. Both State of Water and the Clean Water Campaign are programs of the Michigan-based nonprofit Title Track. Their mission, engaging creative practice to build resilient social ecological systems that support clean water, racial equity, and youth empowerment.